All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Wally and Mathot Show Live. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show Live. Uh, brought to you today, as always, by sportsinteraction.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel. Big guest today. You're going to be excited to stay around for this one. Sorry we're late. We were actually talking to him too long. Um, sportsinteraction.com <laughs> is Canada's online casino and sportsbook. Sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot for the most competitive odds and live daily betting. Check us out on Twitter every sense game. Uh, and as Mestradamus breaks down the matchup and gets you uh, ready to place your bets, including today, Meth, as against the Edmonton Oilers, you have won five straight games. And today, you pick the Oilers, which probably isn't a surprise. No, but uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're loaded up up front, Wally. I, I don't want to get into it right now. Obviously, we have our guest waiting, but this is going to be yeah. an uphill battle for the Sens tonight. Um, speaking of uh, a great weekend, I hope you had one. Uh, there was a bunch of Canadians that were disruptive and made a lot of noise internationally. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the men's national soccer team with the 2-0 win over the Americans. Uh, and now they sit atop the table. Uh, and so it looks like they're going to qualify for the World Cup, hopefully. Um, I've been waiting all day to talk to you about that. Um, by the way, now let's just get to our guest. Eh? I'm super excited to bring in, uh, in the Whitewater chat. He's the perfect guy to share a beer with, let's be honest as he can tell stories for days, which is why I said we're late earlier. Rob Ray, the former Buffalo Sabre, two-time Ottawa Senator. Uh, many of you may not remember that. We'll get into that as well. He's uh, intimidating as they come. I, mm -hmm. I even once, by the way, Meth, felt the wrath of Rob Ray in 1997. Now, he probably won't remember this. I'll bring it up and see if he yells at me again. But I did not like it at the time as a 23-year-old, and I still don't like it today. Uh, but since uh, 03 or 04, I guess he's been part of the broadcast in Buffalo, I'd like to welcome to the show our good friend, um, Rob Ray, sir. Ah, fantastic. By the way, don't forget to use the Wally Mathot coupon code for 15% off. I forgot to mention that, so uh, I apologize. Uh, I'm just excited to talk to Razor, who's, by the way, in his workshop, it looks like, as he carves out wood sticks for the uh, rest of the world to continue to still use them. Uh, Razor, my friend, there you yeah. are. Glad to be with Look you. Look at guys. the wood sticks. This is my uh, retirement um, fund, actually. <laughs> I, ne I never made anything playing, and I'm thinking at some point that I probably could sell some of this stuff, and that'll be enough to uh, maybe get one of my kids through school. <laughs> how many? How many sticks do you have? Good question. It, it, there's probably 500 here, 
Um, not all just on this wall, between my son's room and downstairs and in the basement. But I always thought it was cool. I Every time I went into the dressing room uh, to play, I always thought it was going to be my last day. And I was like, hey, I've got to have something to to make sure that I remember this whole experience and take something with me. And so it just became a habit. And I not only the guys that I played with, but I tried to get them from guys that are respected around the league. And, and you know, just over the years, you, you don't think about it at the time. Then all of a sudden, when you got to go put them in one spot, it's like, holy hell, what do I got here? And now I don't know what to do with them. So um, has, did any player ever say no to you in giving you a stick? Uh, Eric Lindros. Come on. I no, scenario that I, no, I think it was a scenario when I asked him. It was in Philadelphia, right? And he got smoked by somebody. And the, and the two trainers were on the ice, and they were helping him off, and they were coming past our bench. <laughs> and as he was coming off, and he's hanging over, and I'm like, hey, Eric, any chance I could have your stick? And that was the only real no I got. So I didn't ask again. But I guess I did timing get one is everything. A while. Yeah, That's I guess. amazing. Oh. You learn timing that over the years, right? Yep. Uh, okay, so I, there's lots to get to. Uh, you're in Buffalo. You've covered the Sabres now forever. Uh, can you assess the Arendelle situation for us? Because it's still a hot-button topic here in mm -hmm. Ottawa as he got his uh, five-game – three-game suspension. Three games, yeah. Um, was it – okay, from where you saw it, was it fitting for what happened on the play? And if you were on the Ottawa Senators, what would have happened to Arendelle? Well, we did talk about that on our broadcast, that we, we were totally surprised that nobody in that game, due to the score of the game and how the Ottawa pretty much had things in hand, that Aaron wasn't challenged a little more than, than what he was. Uh, you know, there were some guys got in the crease, pushed around a little bit, but nothing done. You know, when you lose a player, I don't care if it's your best player or your worst player, you know, you're showing that it's a team. It's a team. And you just lost somebody on your team due to something that didn't need to happen. And, you know, I was... Yeah, surprised. Not in the big picture, though, because the players this day and age aren't brought up that way and they're not taught that game anymore. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many nights we sit there and we're like, this would be the perfect time for somebody to do something, to get a little spark, get the guys going. And then you sit back in the same breath and you go, they have no idea how to do that because they're not taught that way and they're not coached that way anymore. So it kind of quickly goes out of your mind. But, you know, in this situation, Aaron, you know, did it need to happen? No. Did he think it was... You know, gonna the guy was gonna get injured on the play. I don't think he did that. I think Aaron's a pretty pretty cool guy. That, uh, but he's an aggressive guy. This isn't the first time this year he's left his crease and made contact. Earlier, about two weeks right. earlier, he he came all the way over to the left wall at the hash marks and let the puck go and and smoked somebody over there. He came off his feet, knocked him to the ice. He got a penalty for it. So he is an aggressive goalie. He's done it in the past, pretty similar to this play as well. Do you like to see it? No, you don't like to see anybody get hurt, and and you have to say that he was in the wrong there. But, uh, you know, on the other side, too, you do like to see guys be a little aggressive. It's unfortunate it's your 10th goaltender in the, in the depth chart that has to come <laughs> out and do it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you on that, Ray. I think for me, for me, I'm, I was surprised no one did anything either. I know people were like, well, yeah, they're up 3 nothing, But at the same time, like, you're not – this isn't a playoff game, nor is it a team that's probably going to make the postseason. So it would have been a good opportunity for something to happen. I know you're not going to come on here and condone anything because obviously you're covering – Buffalo and all that, but he's done it to other players and nobody's yeah. really like and the same thing happened to Mark Stone. I think it was, I think it was Mark Stone was another, another guy that got clipped by him and no one was really done anything. So I feel like until that happens and someone actually challenges him like that, he's just going to keep probably getting prompted to doing it. No. Well, yeah, you're not going to get stopped. You know, maybe a suspension and the fine is, you know, kind of deter him a little bit, but True. I, I still say it goes back. I go back to, you know, the days when we played, Mark, that if something happened, then you police it yourself. You don't sit and depend on yep. outside sources to, to deal with stuff like this. And I for agree. nothing, it, it draws a team together. It bonds a team. It, you know, when it shows team unity, um, you know, it for us, we had an incident. Remember when Lucic ran into Miller years ago yes. in Boston? Yeah. I yep. smoked him. Nobody did yep. anything. Gostad, all these guys were on the ice. Nobody did anything. I'll tell you what, that hit destroyed this team for two years. And, yeah. you know, the next time you played Boston, there was a lot of talk leading into it that somebody had to do something. And I think Gosshead felt that he had to do something and didn't want to, I don't think. He, did, uh, he dressed it, tried to in that game. But 
that that means nothing when you do it down the road. It has to happen instantly. And and I think in Ottawa's case right there, it was a perfect time for them that they could have done it. Boom. Even if you don't have the guy, but five guys on the ice just go and, just, you know, yeah, get in I, there I agree and do with that. something. It doesn't yeah. have to be a full-out fight or anything like that. You don't have to hurt Dell or anything, but you have to address it. Yeah, and well, in Buffalo, did you guys have – other than Gostad, who's a huge, huge man, but not like super tough, I don't think. Like not not by no. by those old standards. Was there anybody else there? Because Lucic, like that's a heavyweight. I'm at just the thinking time, if right? John Scott was on the team that back then. I'm not sure if he was around uh, yeah, at that maybe. time. Or Adam Mayer yeah, yeah, anyway. would be the only other guys. But there was nobody that you know. But that but the point even back then it was like it doesn't have to be one. It could be all five guys that are Couple on the guys. ice and just go and yeah. and and nobody's gonna get hurt from it. But it. It sends a message, and it also, you know, kind of builds that unity. Yeah, I agree. We'll get to two of those actual incidents a bit later in the show because you were in both of them, but one you were a player and one you were uh, <laughs> a broadcaster. Um, the goaltending situation, have you seen anything like it where you are, as a team, out of goaltenders? Oh, last year. It's happened to us two years in a row here. I think we used six <laughs> last year. What are we on our seventh this year? You guys uh, went through six I, last I, year? Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't even. Wow. Okay. As long as you do my homework, you you, you you couldn't even you couldn't even count them after a while. How many guys were coming through the door? And it's you know <laughs> even now it's you go to the rink and it's like okay which one is them in which one's healthy which ones, so you just never know. The good thing is the guys that have come through they've all played really well, and you know yeah. there hasn't been that one guy that was just you know to the point where you couldn't put him in the net. All of them have come through and they've had good games and they've won games for this team. So, you know, yeah. on that hand, uh, you know, it's it's been good. I just look back and I think the goaltending position used to be, you used to look at the goaltending position as one of the toughest guys on the team. Not physically, but because they could play night after night, back to back. They could play whenever you wanted to them 70 times a year if you can lean on them and it was no problem. You know, now these guys can't even play back to back or anything like this. So... The soft yeah. side, I think, has snuck into the goaltender department in the <laughs> NHL. <laughs> well, we hope that uh, Craig Anderson will get to win number uh, 300 here as he sits at 296 and continuing. Um, I want to know, you know Evander Kane. He played in Buffalo. Uh, are you shocked by any of this of what's transpired? Uh, and are you okay with, I guess, Edmonton going out and acquiring a guy, obviously, of his talent, but maybe a bit of a distraction in the room? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, yeah, I get to know Evander a little bit when he first came. When he first came, it was like, hey, here's a guy who just needs a break. He needs a shot. He needs to get somewhere new, fresh start. But after a while, it just seemed when you get a little com uh, comfortable in the round, you started taking advantage of things a little bit more. And, you know, I know within the room, not very popular amongst the guys just because of attitude and, you know, living habits and the way he was away from the ice. There's no question on the ice. He's he's a heck of a player, and he can be can contribute mm -hmm. to a team. But I think uh, along the way, there's always going to be something that you're going to have to deal with in some scenario, whether it's something that happened in the past. It's going to come up, and it's going to be within the room, or you know what he may do moving forward. Still, so is it a distraction? I think it was a huge distraction here, and I think there was a lot of guys when the time came that he left. It was like, thank goodness it's over with. Uh, you know, let's get away from this and move on. So. Uh, but I'm, am I surprised that somebody signed him? I, I'm kind of surprised somebody signed him as, maybe as quick as they did and are willing to, you know, to jump into that in a situation where you're looking for help and trying to get a team turned around. You got some young guys that not always the best example for some guys in the dressing room. Yeah, that's the concern, uh, I think. And, 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 and <clears throat> it's always like this in pro sports, right, Ray? Like, like it's like, does your talent outweigh your baggage? So a team figured, yeah. okay, we can use his services. I guess we'll try him out short term. But you made some points there as far as the concern being more long term, right? Like in the room and the effect that he's going to have. So I guess we're going to have to you, wait you and know see yourself, there. When you, have, when you have something in your room that's a distraction, it's not just amongst the guys. Everybody on the outside knows it. So everywhere you go, they're not coming to a vendor to talk to it about this. They're going to the guys in the room to try to get the story from them or, you know, what their feelings are. So. Yeah. It's, it's something that doesn't need to happen. And I, I would think for, you know, a young group of guys or anybody, I, I can see it maybe if you went to a team that was loaded with veteran guys, established guys, where they'd be able to hammer them right down, right off the heart and say, hey, this is the way things are going to be. But 
Yeah. You know, you thought that might have happened in San Jose when he went there. I was just going to say that. Yeah, San Jose. Didn't, you know, so that kind yeah. of throws that theory out the window. Yeah, that's fair. Would well, you have him on your team if you were the head coach? Putting him on the spot uh, I don't, here. I don't, I don't think I, I'd, I'd want to deal with it if I could, you know, have something different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, okay, fair let enough. me okay. wait before you wait, Wally. Wally, before we move on yeah. from Buffalo, I just because I'm just defenseman, right? This Rasmus Dahlin kid, like, yeah, because I watched him the first couple years. I know the team was not very good, so he didn't get a lot of support. I'm seeing some like serious shades, and when they played Ottawa the other week or last week, I think um, he looked really good in moments, and then and then sometimes almost like a riverboat gambler, he'll make a big mistake, right, and it causes some sort of odd man rush or whatever. What are your yeah. thoughts there with him and like? I know he's had a revolving door of D partners. Like overall thoughts on on Rasmus Dahlin. I I think he has improved tremendously. I think that yeah. uh, you know Raz, as you said, when he first came in, he did not have help, and he was a guy that everybody kind of looked at first overall. He's going to come in and he's going to light things up from day one, and that doesn't happen because you didn't have the team in front of him. But yeah. personally, I know this guy. I've talked to him all the time. He's a huge competitor. He wants to get better all the time. When he doesn't have a good game, his first call is to Don Granado after a game on the way home. Oh, really? Don, we got to watch video. Don, I'll be there at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Can you meet me? So he puts in the effort and time because he wants to be the best. And, yeah, you see him sometimes get himself in jackpots out there. But I think that the thing that they're working with him on is making sure that he doesn't think he has to save the world every night, that he can go out yeah. and play his game. I think playing with Yoki Haru has been really good for him. Henry kind of settles him down a lot. They played him with Mark Pezik early in the year, and Mark's a solid, solid guy. But he understood what his role was at that time, and it was just try to get him calmed down and comfortable on the ice. But as for the times you see him make a mistake now, there's 25 other plays that he makes that are lights out. And this guy has a target on his back every night. And every player on every team that you're playing against they're trying to get a piece of this guy every night. And he's learned how to, you know, take the hit, you know, not put himself in that bad position to, to get hit really hard. Um, he pushes back an awful lot. Now there's nights and he's, you know, the leading hitter on our team sometimes because Good. he's playing that aggressive. But I think picking and choosing his spots a lot better now. Um, when to be up the ice, when not to. But defensively, I think he's got way, way better. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. Okay, I want to switch now to uh, your time in Ottawa and also facing Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, brought to you, brought to you by BEI Bonisher Excavating Inc. BEI specializes in excavation, grading, drainage projects, also equipment rentals, aggregate, and topsoil sales. Visit BonisherExcavating.com. BEI helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. All right, you are sixth most penalty. You have the sixth most penalty minutes in NHL history, but you only have eighteen of those. As a member of the Ottawa Senators, you played 11 games as a Sen, and you did it tw in two separate instances. Um, you talked about being traded at the deadline. How did that play out, and were you okay going to Ottawa? Because back then, Ottawa-Buffalo seemed to be a pretty big rivalry of the times that I covered this. these two teams facing each other. Well, the first year that I got traded there, our team was not making the playoffs. It was in a tough spot. And Darcy had come to me earlier in the year and said, hey, if there's a, a place – that you'd be willing to go, and it was a good team, you know, would you consider, you know, taking a trade? He said, because the direction we're going, we're moving in a different direction. I thought it was cool that he that he approached me on it and just didn't do it. And I, at the time, it was early in the year, I said, yeah, but I want to make sure that it's somewhere that I'd want to go. Uh, when the time came, uh, I was happy. I was excited about it. Ottawa was close to where I played junior at the time. My sister and brother-in-law and their kids were living in Cornwall still so i was able to go back there quite a bit and they were able to be around you know the games and everything and get a little feel for what it's all about so yeah I, I was excited about going and i was excited about the team because playing against them at that time it was probably one of the most talented group of guys i was ever on the ice with i was on the ice with some talented guys but not as many as what was in the ottawa lineup at that time and yeah, I was over the top to even be a part of it. I knew going into it, you were going to play much, but you just wanted to be around. The conversation I had with, you know, John Muckler coming into the, the situation was, you know, I want you to come here, work with the guys. You know, Chris Neal at that time was a young guy. He says, uh, you know, and Jason Spezza, we were roommates uh, on the road. And he goes, these are the guys I want you to work with. These are the guys that I want you to, you know, kind of help along the way. 
And I was like all over it. I was all over it and it was fun. But until I got to, to Ottawa and, you know, I get called into to, uh, Jacques' office the first day that I get there and he looks at me and he goes, hey, look, you're not here because I want you here. You're here because John Mucker wants you here. And right there, I'm like, all right, here we go. This is, you just kind of popped my bubble there, son. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a surreal situation at that time. But I was, you know, 35 or so at the time. And it was, you kind of understood it. And it was like, whatever, Jacques, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. And I was going to make the most of it. I'll tell you, I had so much fun. You know, being in one organization for so long, you just kind of get in your mind that this is the way it is. And this is the way it always is on every team. But when you got to go to a different place, you saw something different. And I think it was great for me that, uh, you know, mm. at the end, I was able to go and, and see something different. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the guys. There were such a good group of guys. And I think that might have been a little bit of the downfall. They were all so nice and got along so well that, you know, that internal pressure sometimes wasn't always there that they might need at certain times. Mm. And But uh, I'll tell you what, I, you know, when that year was all said and done and you know, you create a great relationship with Chris and, and Fishy and those guys. You spent a lot of time with them and Jason on the road. And, you know, that summer I get home and a, a pitcher comes to my house and it's a pitcher, Bobby Orr, flying through, signed. And, you know, thanks for your help with Jason. They really, that was like, I could have ended cool. it right there. And it was the coolest thing ever because he thought enough of me and uh, for what I tried to help them with. And, and he gave something back that, that, uh, you know, meant the world to me. So my experience there was the best and I, and I loved it. That's I'll interesting. Bring up Spezza again, because, because Spezza, one sec, Matt, Spezza wore yep. your, you, so you went to Binghamton in your second yeah. uh, time through Ottawa to get conditioned, wore number nine. The next year was the lockout. Spezza goes and wears number nine in Binghamton in honor of you. And because I remember asking him, like, why did you wear nine? He goes, because of Rob Ray. And I had no idea that you two got that close so quick. Um, are you still close like that today? Yeah, when we see Spaz, you know, it's always you have to take the time, you have the conversations, you're talking about everything different now than with the time. At the time, you're you're talking about how to handle situations and the business itself and different people in the business and, you know, all that kind of thing, the, the little the game within the game. You know, now you're talking about wives and kids and family and all this kind of thing that, you know, that whole conversation is taking a 360 and, but I respect the heck out of what this guy was able to do. And, you know, at the time, that first year, too, I think we were playing, I don't know who we played in the playoffs, the Islanders, Jersey. And he wasn't playing a ton until the end. He got in at the end, and he did really well. And, you know, it was, you sat back every night, and every night he went out and played well. It was like, yeah, yeah. And you felt like you had a little bit of peace the way he was, you know, nothing to do with the talent the kid has. It was off the charts. It was more of the way he was handling the game and, and the situations. And it was cool. Mm. I, I'll tell you what, it was, you know, I went to, when I went to Binghamton that second time, Mux had called me and he said, I was in Nassau with my, my wife and we're literally laying on the beach and the phone rings and cause we had just had our first child and Mux was, I hadn't skated in nine months and Mux calls me and he goes, what kind of shape are you in? And I'm like, great. And he goes, I need you here tomorrow. And I'm, I look at my wife and I go, we got to get out of here. So it was like, fly home from Nassau, get to Buffalo. And I hadn't skated. I And we got home in time that I ran to the rink and skated a little bit, got in the truck, drove up to Ottawa, practiced that morning. And he goes, it looks like you're ready to go. And I'm like, they were playing that night at Ottawa. Like, I go, oh, great. Who are we playing? And I think it was Boston coming in or something. And he goes, no, you're playing in Binghamton tonight. Or you're playing in uh, in uh, Syracuse tonight for Binghamton. And I'm like, what? I said, okay, I'll give you a week. I said, if you don't bring me back after a week, I'm going home. And uh, went down, spent the week there, and it was a, a week from hell. I remember the first first shift on the ice in in uh, Syracuse. Was it Sugden or something? The big I was just used to Razor. I, I, Brandon Sugden was like one of my mentors in Syracuse for a couple seasons. And that still shot of you just there that they showed was Brandon Sugden. How did that fight go? I never saw him he, watch, he, I never saw Sugar lose a fight ever. He came up to me and he goes, are we going to go? And I'm like, I haven't skated in nine months. Can you give me a period at least to warm up? The puck drops yeah. and all I hear is, nope. And I'm like, son of a perch, here we go. <laughs> and it was just, it was just pride not to, you know, just given what you had. And it wasn't a whole lot. 
And it was pride yeah. not just to go down. And the fight's over. And you know how small that building it seemed in, in Syracuse? Oh, yeah. And I was like 30 feet away from the penalty box probably when, when it was all said and done. And I looked at the penalty box door, and it looked like it was in Buffalo, like four hours away. And I didn't think I was going to make it to the box. <laughs> and, you know, that night after the game, I had forgot. I didn't know I had to sign up for food after the game, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So you get on the bus. I had no food, you know. Luckily, the guys on the team were like, here, here, I got it. And then they get home and they go, oh, you got to come out with us. And I'm like, it was the first time I ever <laughs> fell asleep in the corner of a bar because I'm like, dead. I'm just actually sleeping in the corner. But that week, it was amazing. We went yeah. to Springfield. Spring, Springfield, yeah. And we played that night. We got on the bus, leave to go to Springfield. And about an hour outside of Binghamton, the bus breaks down. And I'm like, okay, what do we do now? And they go, we wait for help. So like four hours later, the help showed up. They get the bus, and we got another bus, I guess. We get to Springfield, and it's like five in the morning. And uh, so I'm like, okay, we get to sleep all day, right? We play. No, it was a noon game that day. And I'm like, what? I walk into the rink, and Marty McSorley was the coach. He's laughing when he sees me come through, and I'm like, Marty, I am dead. And I told him the story. And he goes, don't worry. I won't have anybody come after you. I'll just, you know, keep them all away from you. I'm like, oh, man, that's that's awesome. Very first shift. I can't even remember the kid's name. I think his brother was playing in bingo at the time. And he comes up to me and he goes, Legend, are we going to go? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I look over the bench and here's Marty laughing his head off. Like he's just <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, so luckily the kid laughed and, and he took off and we didn't fight. And I that game, I go back to the bench. I remember doing it once. And I said, hey, Scotty Algrino was the, the trainer. And I go, my skates are messed up. And he goes, what? I go, come on, I got to I went into the room, back down behind. I laid down on the floor. I put my feet up on the bench, and I'm just laying there dying. He goes, get your skates off. And I go, there's nothing wrong with my skates, dude. I just needed a break. And it was so <laughs> – but it was so much fun. And I played more hockey in those three games, I think, that I was there and that I did in the last two years. I was on a power play penalty kill. And uh, uh, who was the coach? John uh, – John Paddock? Uh, who the heck was the coach? Paddock. John Paddock was there. Yeah, And at one point I said to John, I came over to the bench and I go, John, I said, I'm programmed for three or four minutes a game. I go, not 20. And he looks at me, starts laughing. He goes, shut up and get back out there. And I'm like, okay, here I go. So, but he was awesome. You know, when I left, he, he, he knew how much it was, it was a struggle. And he gives me a, a big eight by 10 of the bucks and all the guys that signed it and gave the Jersey and, and everything. And it was, it was an unbelievable experience. So to do it People. all over, I would do it in a second. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For okay. sure. People don't understand Please. the grind in the American League, right? Like, it's it's a lot different from playing in the NHL. <laughs> and you forget about it. You forget because yeah. you get spoiled here. And, you know, 100%. you're rolling back in at 3 o'clock in the morning from a road trip, and they expect you to go in and hang up your equipment. You can't hang it up because it's all frozen together, so it's one big pile. Yeah. And, and then you go home and have to be back there the next day. And, uh, yeah, you pay a price yeah. down there. If a guy can for be sure. successful in the American League, he can be – He's fine up here. Yeah. So good. So the question I had, knowing how Jacques barely played you and then yes. you are basically retired on the beach, why did you come back? Just the love of the game. It was the love of the game and yeah, it was okay. that that drive to, you know, they had a great team again and it was like just to be a part of yeah. it. It was, you know, I couldn't say no. And my wife's like looking at me, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. Yeah. And you just – you know, I was always told by guys, you know, coming up through, he says, just go out your way, A, eh, and, and play as long as you can until nobody wants you anymore. Then. And when I looked at that, I had a chance that next year to go back to the American League and, and go to Big Up again. And I go, no, that's if I can, I'm not going to play up top, I, you know, that's enough. And, you know, you kind of walked away and, and the opportunity came up here to do the TV. But are you kidding me? It's, it's your life and that's what you want to do. And yeah. And uh, there was no way I was going to say no. I was going to just Jacques piggyback did... on that. Yeah, but the Jacques Martin question. I was just, I want, like, when he said that to you, Razor, like, what what was going through? Like, I'm surprised that Jacques Martin even said that to you in the first place because he's such a meticulous and intelligent guy. I was like, so was there, like, some animosity there? Why would he even mention it? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was over the years just playing against him and, and you know, what it was. Um, and it definitely wasn't his style, you know, the style yeah. that we were playing or I would play. So he, you know, I don't think he, he appreciated that way. 
you know, I asked him one time when we were there and we were playing the Islanders at the end of that first year. And it was meaningless games at the end. And they came into Ottawa and I can remember they just kicked the crap out of us. Guys were getting mm-hmm. banged up. They're hurt. And I'm like looking at Jock and I, you know, I sent a said to him, you know, at one point I go the next day, I go, you know, why? Like when they were getting banged around, why didn't you use me? And it kind of maybe settled it down and give these guys a little bit of, uh, you know, help out there. Confidence. And he goes, he goes, you know what? He goes, Rob Ray. He called, he called me Rob Ray. Rob Ray, my view is if you avoid it, it will go away. And I'm like, it didn't go away, Jacques. It was there for 60 minutes last night, and you yeah. took a beating. <laughs> so I don't know what that did to, to the guy's confidence on the bench. But, yeah, he – and even my last game with, with Ottawa, we played in Toronto. I scored on my last shift. It was a backhander yep. in Toronto. I score. And I come back to the bench, and he never played me again from that point. And there was like three games left in the season that year. And Jacques would always call everybody into the middle, right, at the end of practice and say, hey, this, you're playing, you're not playing, you guys stay out and skate. And it was always Shane Knighty, Rob Ray, Shane Knighty, uh, you play defense, you know, in practice, and you guys are skating. And, that, and the guys were, I think, were always so intimidated at Jacques that yeah. uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to say something just to say it. And he calls into the group and – and before he had a chance, I said, hey, Jacques, Jacques. And he goes, yes, Red Break. I go, I swear to God, if you put me in tonight, I promise I will not score. I said, I will just play and not score. <laughs> he looked at me, he turned red, and he goes, practice is over. And he just skated away, and that was the end of it. So I was like, I got my last little parting shot in there. That's great. <laughs> I will get back to you scoring your last in a minute. Uh, you had two fights as a member of the Ottawa Senators, both of them, I think, were big for different reasons. Let's go with uh, the first one. You f- played Buffalo only once. You had to face your former team. Uh, you fought Andrew Peters, which I know you two talk a lot these days because you're both in the broadcast booth, if you will. Your reaction, or how did that all play out? Was that just a stage fight? What was that like? No, no, I never would have fought Petey in a thousand years. Facing your former team, by the way. Yeah, I never would have fought Petey in a hundred years. It was No, it was not something. And I had earlier just had hit Danny Breer or somebody down in the corner, and I had got a penalty for it. And I'm looking across the ice, and I'm kind of giggling at Lindy because he, he, I just knew what he was going through and what he was thinking at that time. <laughs> and before the penalty was officially over, he had put Petey on the ice. And, and Petey never even came into the play, and he just stood outside the penalty box. And he's yelling at me. And I'm like, you know, calling him a puppet and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, I knew he was going to do and knew what was going to happen. But I also knew at that time that I could say stuff to Petey and get him so rattled that when the time come to fight, he wasn't going to be able to think about what was going on. So it came out and we went at it. And, you know, it, it was what it was. And, and afterwards, Petey's like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You know, I, just, I go, I know it's not your fault. I said, Lindy sent you out. And I get it. I've done it a thousand times for him. So I didn't hold anything against him on it. And, and you know, now we sit back and that picture you see right there, I've sent it to him 500 times every <laughs> so often. And, you know, <laughs> good try. And, you know, sorry about your luck. And next time and all this kind of thing, just kind of egging it on. So uh, it was something that happened. Did you want to do it? No, I didn't want to do it. But it was just something that I knew he was put in a tough situation. So good. So did it, was it weird to face them? Uh, Cause you had played so oh, long. I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't weird to face them in the game in Ottawa, but I ended up playing yeah. for Ottawa in Buffalo one game. And I was never so nervous and scared in my life that I was like, yeah. I just sat there. I was, you know, 36, I think at that time. And I was, I was shaking going into that game because I was so nervous to play in front of our fans that you did for so long. And, it, it was it was a nightmare the whole night, and uh, I was glad when it was over. Put it that way, and and it was uh, it was a great experience, and it was a, it was one last time that I knew I could play in front of our fans because you never had that last time in your building, and uh, you know they were fantastic with it, and you know it kind of gave you your opportunity to kind of go off and walk away and and uh, and and never do it again. Okay, let's talk about your last fight in the National Hockey League because it goes down as one of the, well, it's the biggest brawl in NHL history. That is March 5th, 2004 uh, in Philadelphia where all hell breaks loose and you, well, you kind of start it. You and Donald Brashear are the first fight of that game. Um, Take us, did you, like, I'm assuming you knew that stuff was going down. Well, you, every time you went on the ice, you would, you would 
in the back of your mind, you're always prepared for something happen. I think if I remember correctly, it was a, it was a scramble in front of the net. Goaltender got into it a little bit, and then Donald comes in, and yeah. and we go at it, and and that was, uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a fight. It was the last one, as you said, and I never got cut in fights, but I was leaking. I think from both corners of both eyes in that one. By the time it was all over, and <laughs> you know, you skated off, and you're like, okay, and I could just. I could just feel when I was going back by the bench that the eyes of Jock just burning holes in you going, what the hell are you doing type thing? And, but anyways, I, I sat in the dressing room and I'm not sure that somebody else might've got kicked out at the same time, but it was like every whistle, something else happened. Somebody else was getting in a fight and it was like every three or four minutes, there'd be somebody else walking into the dressing room and they, you know, because they had got you know, kicked out of the game. And you know, I, I think if I remember correctly, isn't Jason Spezza the all-time single-game leader in penalty minutes? Uh, you yeah, know, from right. that game, it's fifty-two. Still for you guys, yep. yeah, and, yep. and, 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 and I'll Neil tell you what about that. That's good. Oh yeah, that's good. I bring it up to him all the time. But, but I'll tell you what: every guy that walked into that room after getting kicked out was the most excited guy I saw, and they were coming in, they were going crazy, they were yeah, 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 and the next guy and. As soon as somebody would come through the door, the guys in the dress room would start cheering, and it, cheering, was, it yeah. was crazy. But it was, <laughs> but it was the group of guys. I think in that game right there, they realized that they had never played. Most of them had never played that way, or had to be in that situation before. And, but they realized that it was it wasn't so bad that you could play that way, and if you had to, you could stand up and and do what you have to do, and, and you know it was going to be fine. And hmm. I'm listening to these guys, and it was like there were a bunch of kids in that room, so excited and going crazy, and uh, you know because of what they were, what they did, and you know how it turned out, and you know I thought it was, I thought it was good for them at the time. I think it was, it was a good stepping stone for a lot of those guys to realize that you know you could play that game and and you could get out of it unscathed, and but you you still kind of drew together as a group too, as well, and as a, as a team. Uh, do you talk? I don't know. It's been so long, obviously. Do you have you had chats about that brawl ever uh, with Philadelphia Flyer play, players at all? Ever? No, no, I never have. No. Are you a little disappointed that you were the first one out? Uh no, no. In those most cases, that <laughs> if you're not the first one out, in in my scenario, then the pressure would build and build and build that uh, you were going to have to go and eventually do something. But I would bet in that case that if I wasn't the first one out there, that I never would have got on the ice. Shock never would have put me on the ice because I probably <laughs> knew it was going to happen. And I would have sat there through the whole thing and just been a, you know, a casual observer from the sideline anyways and not ever well, get to be a part of it. And never mind, like, you don't want to be – so you mentioned, like, for team building. I totally get that. I've been in situations like that where you're all coming back into the room and everyone's chanting every time a new player comes in. But, like, yeah. you don't want to be the last guy sitting on the bench either, right? Like, how no, are you No, you don't. And there guy? was only, like, four or five of them left on the bench by the end of the game. Too. Yeah. So everybody else that was in there, they're bleeding, they're having fun, and they're like, yeah. And then here comes four or five of them walking in the room going, Whoa. so you're looking at them, no, are you <laughs> – they all came in going, oh, I wish I could have. I wish I could have. I didn't have the chance. Yeah. I wish I could have. So, 100%. And one of those last players was Marty Havlat, who had started the whole yep. thing, the whole game before anyway. And he's still sitting on the bench like, what's going on, guys? You know, Marty Havlat and, and, and Pat LaFontaine were probably the two of the dirtiest players I ever played with, stick wise <laughs> They would do so much crap out there, stir so much up, and then sneak out unscathed. And, you know, it was, it was, just seemed like it was always that way. I can remember one night in Chicago, Patty LaFontaine and Chelios hated each other. And, and Chelios kept going at Patty about he owed him 50 bucks or something from a card game or something from somewhere along the line. And the two of them started going at it. And the next thing you know, I'm on the ice for some reason with Patty and they all start going. And I got like four guys and Belfour's into it and Chelios and I'm under the pile and they're just hammering me. And I remember Patty sneaking under the pile with his gloves. And he hands me his two gloves. And he goes, put them over your face. Put them over your face. I grab the gloves. I put them on my face. And I look. And he sneaks out of the bottom of the pile. And he was gone again. And that was the end of it. No way. At least what he tried story. to help out a little bit. He just That's amazing. He didn't leave me hanging there. He helped out a little bit, I guess. Uh, before I get to the 
Chris Neal, Chris Drury hit in Buffalo that you were in the broadcast booth for. What was your relationship like with Neeler when you were here? Because you're two, I guess, alpha males, two tough guys. Was there any animosity between the two of you? I think at the beginning a little bit, Neeler thought, you know, me coming in there was kind of, you know, maybe taking his position or, you know, taking time yeah. away from him. But I understood that, and I – tried to go out of my way to make sure that Neeler realized that I wasn't there to take this position. I was there to maybe help him along the way. And that at no time was I going to be in the lineup and, and he wasn't type thing. And that was something Mux and I had talked about coming in. And, you know, he says, I just got to teach this kid what it's all about, how to play that game, how to play that role. And, uh, I, you know, I think over time, you know, that, that barrier came down. And by the end, you know, like I said, you became good friends. And him and Fishy used to live together. And, you know, you spend an awful lot of time with those guys, uh, you know, getting them to know them away from the ice. And and I, I think over the, the long haul, yeah, I think he, he appreciated the, the help along the way. But, yeah, I think at the beginning he was a little nervous that I was there to take it. But, you know, I, I made sure early as soon as I got there that I was letting him know that I was in no position to be there taking his spot. It was just there as a mentor and try to help. Uh, you fought Denny VL, by the way, Ottawa Senator, uh, eight times. Yeah. I think one of the tops that you were though, and I watched a couple of those. Those were nuts. Who's your, Denny like, the did, Dancing Bear? Was he bear. one of those guys that you didn't? Yeah, that you didn't want to face. <laughs> no, I I didn't mind. I there, you know, I'm looking at that list right there, and there's really, you know, who I did mind facing was the second guy, Paul House, because he was tough as nails. That guy could could fight like anything. And a uh, very underrated guy in the fighting world back then. But, no, as, as far as fighting those guys, no. Uh, Denny, you always know it was going to be an honest fight. You were going to be able to stand there. It wasn't going to be a grapple and wrestle and all that kind of thing. You knew you were going into it, and the gloves were down, and you were going to throw punches. And you are going to throw punches till the end, until uh, we each got tired or, or somebody hit the ice. And, you know, I respect the heck out of Denny. I got to know him, uh, you know, years after we were done. Actually, Denny came to a training camp here one time uh, at the end of his career, and he was here for training camp, so I got a real good chance to get to know him and, and talk to him a lot. And afterwards, I've done some alumni stuff with him down east uh, where he's living, and awesome guy, awesome guy. And, you know, it was nice just to kind of sit and, and you know, tell stories and, you know, experiences and, and to get to know the guy a little deeper because, you know, at the time you don't hate people, when you have to fight them like that, you, you respect yeah. most of them. Some you don't respect, but in most cases you do. That uh, they've got a job, you've got a job. And, you know, I think in a guy like Denny, that whenever he felt that he needed to get a momentum change or do something for his team, if he came to me, I was willing and vice versa. If, if we were looking for a spark and I had to get something going, I think Denny understood that too. And he, and he was always uh, a willing combatant. So... I think that's how guys that had to play our role uh, gain respect and gave respect to, to each other in those cases. Razor, I got to ask you one question. I Sorry, I got to ask him this before we don't ask him this. And yeah, this is yeah, obviously Quebec City back in, I think it was like 92 oh. or 93. I got to do it, man. I got to ask. So this 21-year-old <laughs> comes on the ice, a fan, thinking it's a good idea. I love this video. It's probably one of my favorite hockey videos, and I'm not even bullshitting you. So – Talk to me about this and what was going through your mind and was jail ever a consideration in the moment when you were feeding him 20 shots? No, no. You know what had happened? On the ice, there was a five-on-five -five fight that Herb Raglan had ran Clint Malarchuk. So everybody yep. on the ice is fighting. So we're on the bench and we're watching and we're watching. And all of a sudden, you kind of look out of the corner of your eye. Here's this guy had climbed up on the glass behind the bench. And I got yeah. a great picture of Mux. He had Kenny Sutton's stick and he goes... <laughs> Give me the stick, I'll get him. And just as Muck was going to poke the guy to knock him back into the to the stands again, he jumps in the bench. But I had worked my way down to where he was. We had grabbed onto him, threw him onto the ice, and thinking it was over. He jumps back up and comes right back to where we were. I got a hold of him with my hand and his hair. I had it on the boards. I hit him, I think it was 18 times. And I stopped yeah. because my hand got so sore. But by that time, the cops had come on the ice and they're jumping on him. They wrestle him down. They get him off. You look out on the ice and there's bullets laying all over the ice that have fallen out of the police officer's belt or something. They're out there kicking bullets up off the ice. You look down to the Quebec bench and they're all just sitting there going, what happened? And, you know, you hear this guy in the back hallway screaming because I don't know what the cops were doing back there to him. 
But come to find out afterwards that he was climbed onto the glass to protest the violence in the game. And then <laughs> what? ultimately leads to, yeah, they did an interview. It's online somewhere and it's in French. But, I got to find it. Um, he had did an interview. They went to his house, I guess. And, and the whole premises of it was him protesting the violence in the game. And then it Good led for to him. that scenario right there. So did, did I think about jail? No. Um, at the time, it was a totally different world then. Uh, I think it yeah. cost me like four grand or something because we had to get lawyers <laughs> and that. And at that time, the team wouldn't pay for it. They literally took that money out of your paycheck and oh, well, wow. you moved on. But, you know, for the four or five grand what it cost, it was worth it to, uh, you know, to have something like that forever that, you know, especially this day and age, the kids are always looking at it. And, you know, I coach a 12-year-old team now and it periodically it pops up when we're at tournaments sitting around and, you know, the kids go crazy over it. So it was, it Did- was worth it. Did he ever say, like, I know I don't want to hammer, I don't beating this topic like a dead horse here, but did that guy ever release a statement after or talk about his experience being introduced to you on the ice? Uh, I'm not sure it was all in French. I, I, I don't understand. So in this, <laughs> in this interview he did, I ne- I've never had contact with a guy. And, and I was Fair always enough. like, I tell our guys, if we ever, ever go back to, to, to Quebec for any reason for games, or anything, we got to look this guy up and I got to go knock on his door and say, hey, dude. Oh. That's me. How you doing? What's up? And so I think it would be a, a, a great segment. Nice. Uh, it would nice. be. Um, I recently watched the documentary that the Sabres did on the Chris Drury hit by Chris Neal. Now, you've now played yeah. with Chris Neal. And so uh, as you see this hit, which is a blindside hit, and in today's game would have been suspendable, but at the time it's not. Uh, as you see that hit, like what – and you're between – by the way, if people don't know – uh, Razors between the benches uh, doing the broadcast, like Ray Ferraro, if you need some example. So when you see this hit, what's what's transpiring? What's going on in your mind? Well, at the time, it was kind of a heated game, too. And, you know, there was – when he made that hit, it was like, you know, it was like the whole rink just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, because at that time, Jury was yeah. – you know, he was the guy here, and he, he was uh, very well-respected. And, captain. And, yeah, and he – when Chris hit him – you know, was it clean? Well, no, but it, it was something that at that time, you, you, it's not that you never saw it, but it was something that happened more often than, than not. Yep. And it just created an explosion within the building. You know, you're talking about teams reacting after somebody gets hit. You know, that was, that was the way you, you should react after a hit. And, you know, I can remember being in the box. And when I was in the box, because Harry Neal and, and Rick Jenneret were the, the two up top, and I wasn't always on live. So when I had to do something, they turned the mic on, you did it. But that was the first game that the producers are saying, hey, you know what? He's comfortable with both teams. You know, he knows both teams. So let's go Let's go live tonight. So it's, it's hot. And all of a sudden it happens. And, uh, you know, things are going on in the ice. And I can remember when, when Lindy came through into my box and the door blew open. He, he slipped. He, he hit his shin and he was going crazy. And see Murray there. And I hear RJ in my ear going, cover your mic, cover your mic. And I'm like, it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to make a difference here. And I'm just sort of looking at both sides going, okay, I thought it was funny. I didn't think I should start laughing. But them being friends, Lindy was Lindy was a pretty funny guy. And he at the beginning, it was more teasing. And it was kind of giving them shots. And then, and then I think as it escalated, it got – a little more serious and you see the two of them going at it there and the things that Lindy was kind of saying at the beginning that uh it was hilarious and I'm sitting there and I'm laughing and I'm trying to hold the mic and I'm listening to RJ and he's trying to cover up so we didn't hear everything that was going on and being said and uh it was great it was a great experience it's another one of those you know I look back at my career and that and the Quebec thing is what everybody ever wants to talk about when you go somewhere there are always questions about the two of them and yeah. uh uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty surreal. Okay. I understand what happens on the ice is supposed to stay on the ice. I just want you to tell me what this conversation was like. I just need some, I need some sentences. Well, there probably weren't any sentences. I need some words. <laughs> well, I don't, I, I can tell you a part that they were friends. They are friends. They were friends, I guess now. And, and Brian, <laughs> as you know, stuttered a little bit when he got excited. 
And I can remember Lindy going, duh, 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 and he started going oh, all the no. way down, and Brian just got fired oh, up. No. And then it was, you know, from that point on, it was like, ah, you know, it's over. And 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 then they started just a lot of swearing back and forth, and you know, about the hits and how scenarios and who was going to go on the ice and what each other were going to do to the other team. And it, uh, yeah, fair enough. That's that's with that's a lot of bad bombs in there. <laughs> yeah. So, did but was there any time that you were worried about laughing? I was, do you see my face? I was not scared in any way. I was like, <laughs> you know, trying to, because of what was being said both ways. And it's, it's, I know, I, I was just trying to re- show respect on each side there. Oh, uh, it's so good. Okay. Um, the following, so just before that uh, was the face off, and Murray puts out Mike Comrie, uh, uh, Danny Heatley, and Daniel Alfredson, and Buffalo counters with Adam Mara, Patrick Coletta. And uh, Andrew Peters, like, yeah, I, I for this to this day, I can't fathom why Brian would do that, uh, thinking that this is not going to boil over. Well, I, I think you go back to the old Jacques Martin scenario if you avoid it, it'll go away type thing. And if I put those players yeah. out, then maybe you know he'll understand it and and you know kind of diffuse the situation. But at that time, Wendy didn't coach that way, Wendy coached an aggressive game and he always had aggressive teams and players. and he was. It might have been different if we were on the road, but at home, yeah. he was. He was taking a stand, and and uh, you know, I think that's that's the reason why. Well, the funny part of that, I think Adam Mara goes, "I'm making the line change, right?" Or he's the one that said, "I'm going." Yeah, out. Adam did. He's he's come yeah. public and he said, "Yeah, I looked at the coaches. I'm going." And you know, at that point, <laughs> uh, you know, Lindy would buy into that in a second, and and he he allowed them to go. It's it's wild. Like so, did you like playing against Ottawa because there was such a rivalry? It seemed. Yeah, it, it was it was it was Ottawa and Toronto at the time. I think that we had the best rivals against because you played them so often, and you know you seem you faced uh, you know playoffs there once in a while. So yeah, I I, I think for us, from the time Ottawa came in, it was a tough game for us because it seemed like even when they were an expansion team. We could never beat them. And it was always rolling into the old rink downtown and we'd get beat. And, you know, it was always hell for us when you lost to an expansion team and everything. But they they, they had our number quite a bit. So it did create a little bit of that, uh, you know, hatred for each other. But, you know, I think over time, the way Ottawa had built the team into such a talented team too, that, you know, you had to be so careful that you couldn't go out and play, you know, anything other than, you know, their style of game to try to beat them because they were so talented and, you know, they, they hurt you in a lot of different ways at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun. The two battles between those two teams with Ryan Miller and net and all that stuff. Oh, we should have mentioned that fight that the Chris jury thing was also the Ray Emery, Andrew Peters uh, match that went on. Marty Brown as well too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But Marty just was like, he was like the warm up act. Well, Marty still lives off that. He still thinks that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to him in the game. So. Fair enough. That's funny. Uh, okay, I want to switch things up and switch a bit and talk a bit about your career in general. Um, brought to you by Gong Show, gongshowgear.ca. Of course, that's where you can order all the official Wham merchandise. Um, Gong Show Gear is the official gear, by the way, of lifestyle hockey apparel. Go to gongshowgear.ca. Um, you brought it up earlier about scoring in your last game, which was your 900th career NHL game. You yeah. also scored on your first shot, on your first shift, in your first NHL game. It's a wild bookend. Um, and you, you only scored 41 goals. I don't mean that as only. I've never scored any. But is it? it's got to seem kind of surreal that it happened that way for you. Yeah, for me in that first game when I got called up, we played the night before, went to Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, I didn't play early in the game. I got out and, you know, for my first shift for midway through that the period. And, you know, I took a slap shot from inside the blue line on Tom Brasso and it goes in. And I, that might have been the only slap shot I might have ever taken in the NHL. And somehow it finds through, through his legs and in. And it was the greatest experience of your life. And, you know, at that point, it was like, Things could end right now, and I don't care because, you know, I made it. I played my game. I scored my goal. And that night, I think statistically-wise, I think I had a goal and assist plus three. And statistically-wise, it was the best game I ever had in the NHL. And from that point, it just kind of went downhill from there. But it was, as you know, when you score that goal, it's something that can never take away from you. You made it. You did it. And, 
and it was an amazing feeling. And then when I got the score on the last one, it's like you score off the draw. You're feeling good about yourself. You go back, you get the eyes burning through you from Jock, and, you know, you sit there the rest of the night, and it was like, it's over. Like right then, when you didn't play the rest of the game, you knew it was over. And uh, so that's why when I said, when we came to group, I, I told him I promised I'd never score if he puts me in again just to play that one last game. And But when you look at it now, I guess it was a pretty cool way to, to say that first and last shift and you, uh, you know, you're able to end it on a goal. So for a guy like myself, that was, that's pretty neat. I don't want to say you're old, but your last game ended in a 2-2 tie. Really? Yeah. Could have used me. So do you know who... that third one? <laughs> do you know who assisted on your last NHL goal? No, I think it was right off the draw. I uh, couldn't tell you. Uh, Antoine Vermette with his second assist, and Chris Neal assisted on your last goal. Antoine Vermette, my very last jersey that I wore in Ottawa, they were always gracious to give you the jerseys at the end. And I had it sitting in my stall, and Antoine thought he wanted – I was getting everybody to sign it. And he comes, and my last jersey that I have that I ever wore in the NHL has got Antoine Vermette's signature across the back of it. <laughs> well, and I'm I like, what are you Burby. doing? He goes, oh, he's such a nice guy. To sign it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Nimrod, I didn't want anybody to sign it. It was my last <laughs> one. That's funny. So do you have it hanging somewhere with Vermi's signature? Oh, it's in a box somewhere. He doesn't deserve to get hung oh. up. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we can't go without asking about Ty Domi, and I'm sure you get asked about him all the time. Yep. But you fought 13 times. Uh, are you two friends? I'll tell you at the time. We go back so far. I was Cornwall. He was all, uh, Pitt, uh, Peterborough. And we played against each other all the time. When we got drafted, we had the same agent at the time. Uh, I can remember Rolly Thompson was my agent. He pulls into my driveway because the draft was in Montreal. It was Rolly was behind the wheel, Dan Dau in the front seat, Ty Domi in the back seat, and I jump into the back seat. And I'm looking. I'm like, oh, my God. Ty never shut up. From the time we left our house in Sterling to Ottawa or Montreal, which was about two and a half hours, just bragging about everything. And I'm like, you know, we got there and I'm like, this guy's driving me nuts. We get in the room and we start wrestling and kind of clipped his head a little bit off the, the corner of the nightstand and was like, we got to stop. And it was over. But I'll tell you what, that weekend, I was so excited for him by the end of it. And he was over the top excited for me because we both had got drafted. And, you know, we go out that night and have a great time. We drive back. They drop me off the next day. We shake hands and good luck and see you later. And the next time you come across each other, I think our first fight in the NHL was he was in Winnipeg and and uh, we went at it. So 13 more times later down the road. And when it was the last one we fought here in Buffalo the last time, that I knew it was to my end. And it was kind of like we tapped each other in the, the top of the heads and it said it was a great ride. Uh, you know, thanks for everything. And we kind of skated away and that was it. And we had a chance two years ago, I think it was, Ty came into town and we were on the ice surface and we dropped the Jumbotron down. Andrew Peters were there and we went through all 13 fights and kind of broke them down, oh. who won, lost, and everything That's about cool. them. And it was it was fantastic. And, you know, Ty was great with it. And and we really had a chance to kind of kind of bond a little bit and, and, and spend some time with each other. And over the years, we had done things for each other, you know, different signing things and that. Uh, you know, Ty was always into something, so he was always looking for, you know, help here and there. So over the years, yeah, I, I, and I'm so glad that I got a chance to, to get to know him as a person. I think he's a wonderful guy. He does a lot of great things out there. He's a great father. He's, he, uh, you know, we, we stay in touch, you know, when we're in the areas, when he comes in and watches kid play, that, you know, he always gets in touch and we make sure we meet up. And yeah, so at the time, did we like each other? I don't think we didn't like each other. We just knew that it was something that we had to do. I know mm. there was a ton of pressure on him every time we'd play against each other because I know when he got to Toronto and it was, you know, leading up to the games, Toronto and, and Buffalo were such a rivalry that it was not about the game, who was going to win or lose. It's like, are you guys going to go? And if we didn't go in a, in a game, the first question after was, why didn't it happen? And, you know, I think right. people look forward to it so much that, you know, a lot of the nights yeah. you might not have wanted to do it, but you just knew you had to do it. It was part of the game. and But uh, it was always an ongoing rivalry to, uh, between us. And, and it it was fun and it was respectful. 
and nobody got hurt out of it. And in turn, uh, you know, I, I look at it at the end that I've, you know, created a friend along the way. Interesting. You say you two did a story about it because when you came to Ottawa, I requested to speak with Ty about and do a sit down with the two of you about your careers fighting each other. And he wouldn't do it. So I'm always been a little disappointed in Ty, but I've always liked Hey, him. we did it. We uh, won an Emmy for it too. So, hey, we're big Good time. for you. You yeah, guys produce some really time. good stuff in Buffalo. I will tell you that. Um, if I, I got two other, questions, two other questions. If I brought up Dallas or, or foot in the crease, do you cringe or how long did it take you to get past that? It was tough. You know, there's, there's, it's one thing losing, uh, you know, getting beat. You know, it's, it's okay. You can handle it. But in a situation like that, you might have ended up losing the game. You might have ended up losing the series down the road. But it was kind of taken away from you in a situational call the way it was. And uh, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And, you know, I think most guys, you know, we got together a couple of years ago at our 50th anniversary. I had a bunch of guys in town, and it always comes up. And, and everybody just kind of, uh, uh, you know, it was so close. It was right there. You know, it's kind of taken away in that, in that fashion. And then after the fact, you know, it hurts more when the league comes out and says, yeah, we, we made a mistake. You know, it shouldn't have been, mm. it shouldn't have happened. But by that time, but that game had gone into, it was late. And, you know, the, by the time the goal was scored, the Zamboni doors blew open instantly. The guys upstairs yeah. that were the, the NHL reviewing that, like instantly packed up and were done. So even if you, if you were in a position where you could take a look at it, there was nobody to take a look and there's 500 people on the ice. So what are you going to do? Throw them all off and get everything yeah. hooked up back upstairs again today. So yeah, when it was kind of taken away from you in that way, it, it definitely hurts. And I can be on the road with the team and you walk into the Dallas dressing room, you see that Stanley cup sitting there. It's uh, it's kind of a kick in the crotch. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, last question, unless meth comes up with any is, uh, do you have a favorite teammate or a favorite roommate? Oh, man, I had a lot of good guys over the year. Dougie Bodger was my first roommate on the road. Dave Hannon, uh, Rhett Warner <laughs> later on in the career. I think uh, Lindy kind of put us together so we didn't uh, disrupt everybody else on the team. We kind of did our own thing, and away we went. But <laughs> I'll tell you, we had some good times And as, as far as roommates. You know, back then you could choose who you wanted to be with, and, and it was nice because you always sometimes you got stuck with that guy that you weren't quite meshing with or the same type mm -hmm. of people periodically but when you had one that you enjoyed it was it was unbelievable i remember dougie bodger you know my first year here he just he showed me everything and a lot of the bad things too that you know he kind of look back now and go oh my god but uh no a good roommate especially a veteran roommate that's what they tried to do back then a lot was a veteran with a young guy to kind of help them out and uh, you know, they were fantastic. Dave Hannon was one of the funniest guys. He was my line mate, and we fought all the time, whether it was, you know, on the road, whether it was, uh, you know, in the dress room in practice. But we had a lot of good times. We there, I can remember Hannon and I always on the road. We'd set up uh, called the Diners Club. So when we'd get into a town, you know, everybody was, you brought this, you brought the cheese, you brought the crackers, you brought the brought all wine, you brought the cards, you brought the chips. And everybody would kind of join in our room and sit and, and it was kind of the diner's club you had before you went out for dinner that night. And so, yeah, I learned an awful lot from those guys. And I was very fortunate to have some good ones. And Rhett Warner and I, over the years, we still laugh sometimes and go, how the hell do we play the next day sometimes? Uh, that's so good. Uh, okay, people want to know, because I've asked this to everybody else, what's your favorite snack if you're sitting around watching a movie? Snack? I'm uh, if I was going to the electric chair, I'd want a bag of Doritos and a jug of chocolate milk. I think that's my favorite thing that I could ever have in my life. Away from all the fine food and that, uh, those two things right there. When if I'm down and out or I'm hungry, it's chocolate milk and Doritos, and I just go for a drive. That's fair enough. Um, Razor, I like I've had a great time. It's one of my favorite chats, and I've the, the stuff that you can tell for hours is is phenomenal. And so. I appreciate you taking the time, stopping by to have a chat with us in the show. Well, you can only tell so much because you don't want to get in trouble anymore. So it's kind of keep it away, keep it clean. Well, in part two, we'll get into all that stuff. We can do that. But I appreciate it, guys. It was fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And, and thank you for having me on. Thanks, buddy. Take care. There goes Rob Ray, who's a 15-year NHL veteran, sixth all-time in penalty minutes, and really one of the good guys who intimidates the hell out of me. Um, I didn't tell him... I forgot to ask him about the story. 
So uh, is he still there, Scotty? I just, okay, Razor, I got to bring you back because I could totally forgot this. In 1997 at the Bell Center, at, you're doing a practice. I think it's an off day. At the time, you could smoke in the Bell Center. So I'm standing there and I smoked at the time. And you tap on the glass and you look at me and go, hey, there's no smoking in here. And I'm like, yes, there is. And there, and you're mad. As, and I, at the time, I'm like, it's Quebec. We can smoke wherever we want. And you yelled at me afterwards in the hall room outside that you were smoking. You can't smoke. I'm like, yeah, we're allowed. Do you, do you have any recollection of this? No, but I, I don't. I don't. But that was very disrespectful on your part. So you should not be smoking in that <laughs> building when there's world-class athletes trying to better themselves out on the ice. But no, I don't. I can remember Which going is... to Austria, though, one time in training camp. And we played Tampa over there. And one side of the rink could smoke and the other side couldn't. And I was like, I don't get that part. And after the game, it was like your jersey was yellow because there was so much smoke in the building. And it was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But yeah, to each your own, I guess. I hope you quit. Oh, uh, it's so good. I did. I did quit. Um, but I, I do. I'll always forget See, that I might have helped you. I might, I might have been the influence to save your life for your family. I, I appreciate that. So again, I owe you not only for this. Now I also owe you for the saving my life as well. So now there I can go. let you go. Anyway, uh, take care, uh, Rob Ray. Take care, again, guys. Uh, just take care, my friend. Color for the Buffalo Sabers and does a phenomenal job in the broadcast. But really, one of the true good guys. And um, looks like Methernet only is paid up for one hour, and so it is out. Uh, and with that, I will say uh, goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for watching the Volume of Thought Show brought to you by sportsinteraction.com slash volume of thought. We'll see you next time.